passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock and Wei Tang coming at you for the second time today. If you have listened to our G1 show already, that was just getting ready for this, our, our doubleheader today on a Wednesday. Yeah, get used to it. I mean, there, there's probably going to be a few of these and um, we'll just, we'll just, might as well just have a microphone on at all times, I think. Oh, that would be enjoyable. Just build it into our mouths. Just live stream us yeah. nonstop. We'll call Blue, see if they can like make you know the new, I don't know, wireless microphone tooth implant. Podcast yeah. twenty four hours a day. Yeah, instead of Blue, it'll be the Truman microphone. Oh, great movie! A very good movie. I think even more interesting today about wh- when it comes to our fascination with following people well i think for a lot of people like being on their own truman show would be a dream a i think you would i mean it's they'd volunteer it's, like we're 100 percent. like we're talking about like this generation of reality shows do you know that survivor is 20 years old this summer i i can imagine that i mean i've you know like when i like i had this feeling maybe 10 years ago where a lot of things i thought were still relatively new were like Oh my God, that's te- 10 years old. Now, like I have that feeling with things that are 20 years old. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not that surprising anymore. Like, do you remember very clearly the summer of 2000? Is that like a, does that feel like a distant I uh, memory? kind of do. Yeah. It's not that distant. I don't think. Doesn't feel long ago at all to me. I remember very specifically. Especially when you think about like that in relation to pro wrestling, what was going on sure. at the time. Like I remember vividly watching some of that stuff. The uh, the first TLC match was that year. Yeah. That summer. That was 20 years ago. And that's it. That's it. That's the only thing that happened in wrestling. But don't ask me to recite WCW stuff that happened in the summer of 2000. Like, let's not get crazy. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, after this Monday, I, I think we've we've had enough. Well, we have enough to discuss, so we should really move on. Uh, this is one of those uh, nights where I don't think our uh, our, our banter is uh, is going to hold up to uh, the news that we have to get to. There's there's quite a bit of it, and you know what? I was thinking today, I was going out. It was a bit of a scorcher today in Toronto, and I was saying to myself, you know what I could really use right now? 
It's getting very sweaty. I could use a new shirt. I wonder if there is a store that could provide me one if I was a member of such a store and it's cafe patronage and I was in a draw tonight on a podcast I listened to that could provide me with such a shirt. Every single week, we give out one shirt to one lucky patron of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And before we even move on, I wanted to thank everybody who took advantage of our 25% off sale over the weekend and purchased yourself either a t-shirt or a hat. A lot of Post ProRes shirts we sold, actually, John. So, um, WH, drawing money. WH is um, very, very popular. But uh, yeah, store.postwrestling.com. You can get a merchandise for any of our... Um, uh, shows at least uh, Rocky the the Rocky My Via Picture Show and Post Pro Res and of course uh, many featuring John Pollock and myself. But uh, we're gonna give one shirt away right now to a lucky patron. And John, give me a number between one and two thousand. What are we at? Uh, one and uh, two thousand and eleven. Two thousand and ten. Really? All right. 2010. Let, let, let's award someone who just jumped on. So, uh, well, a brand new. I, I mean, I've, as I've said, it, it doesn't really count like that. It's not laid out like that. It is still pretty random. Oh. Oh, but okay. that's fine. 2010. I mean, uh, according to the mind of John Pollock, it might as well be, you know, the mo- our rando bot 2000. Uh, congratulations to Honest Habe. Honest Habe. Honest Habe? Yeah, okay. this is what this person's. I think their their real name is Tony, but I'm I'm gonna go by what you've written down. Honest Habe, you're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you have won a T-shirt from store.postwrestling.com. Congratulations! Congratulations! There's a draw every Wednesday night on Rewind to Dynamite. All you have to do join the Post Wrestling Cafe, listen to all of our shows, many many coming out on a weekly basis, and then you can be entered into this draw to win on Rewind to Dynamite. A quick look ahead. We've got another G1 show that will be out Thursday afternoon going through the B-Block show with Way and myself. Plus, it's the debut of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure. The adventure begins with WrestleMania 19 on Thursday. They're going to be joined by Nate Milton, who will kick things off the new era of Martin Bushby and Andrew Thompson. So look out for that on Thursday. That is a show that will typically appear on the British Wrestling Experience feed. So make sure you subscribe to that. But for at least the first... One or two episodes, we will be hosting it also on our main feed, which you're listening to right now. So you don't really have to do anything. You can automatically receive those episodes sometime tomorrow. Uh, but if you enjoy it, I do encourage you to subscribe to British Wrestling Experience. On Friday, we are going to have a live edition of Rewind to SmackDown, 10.15 Eastern Time, as Way and I uh, go through. Uh, on, a, on a day off for the G1, we will be watching SmackDown on Friday night. And maybe we'll we'll give a... Quick look ahead to Clash of Champions, which is happening on Sunday. Then Saturday, we've got a UFC 253 post show where myself and Phil Chertok will be live right after the card. uh, Streaming live on YouTube uh, on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. So give that a subscribe and you can tune in to me and Phil and see our wonderful faces. Sunday, Way is with Mike Murray to review the G1, which I guarantee you will be a better show than the one I will be responsible for reviewing which is Clash of Champions, way going above and beyond double duty on Sunday. We will be live for our double-double ice cap and espresso members of the cafe Sunday, right after Clash of Champions that, God help, God willing, will be by 10 p.m. 
Yeah, I'm hoping to get an early start on uh, the G1 and then maybe, you know, live a full day in between that and Clash of Champions because otherwise I don't know how I would be able to record these shows back to back without um, really liking one and really not liking the other. It, it, it'll be really difficult. So uh, that's everything this weekend. I also wanted to uh, bring everyone's attention to what's going on with Up Next. On Up Next, of course, they have a review probably up right now of tonight's edition of NXT. But also, tomorrow on their free feed, they will be releasing a review of Tim Burton's Batman, the very first Batman film. So that'll be available for free for everybody who subscribes to the Up Next feed. I wanted to go see that movie when I was four years old. Might have been five. My parents told me, no, we can't take you to see that. I was very disappointed. I really wanted to see Batman. Uh, four and five would be a bit young. It was. That uh, That was a pretty intense Batman. I, it wasn't exactly uh, Adam West and Burt Ward. Well, by today's standard, I mean, it must be rather pretty, tame. Pretty tame, yeah. I don't remember it at all, at all, though. I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Oh, I love that movie. When I finally got to see it, maybe I enjoyed it even more because it was like I, I have finally gotten to see the forbidden movie that is uh, Batman. My parents had that, and they I remember when they got a friend of theirs. I really wanted Home Alone, the movie. And my friend had pay-per-view, so recorded Home Alone for my parents to give to me. But at the beginning of the tape was Silence of the Lambs. Whoa. So my parents gave me this VHS, and they told me, under no circumstances are you to watch the first two hours of this VHS. <laughs> so you are, I was like, this is a VCR. Like, I'm going to stumble upon this movie. How am I going to find the exact start point of Home Alone? It's not like uh, today where you could have chapters. Uh, I mean, even talking about DVDs feels dated by this point. But anyway, um, I, tried to, I tried to be responsible and not watch Silence of the Lambs, which was the forbidden movie uh, when I would have been six. Oh, that must have made you really want to watch it. A little bit, yes. But I also had a very heavy conscience. I was like, I, if I do this... I, I'm directly disobeying what was cl- like sometimes You're ruining it, your life. It's like, like it's like doing drugs. Yeah. It's like, uh, if you know, you can, you can wiggle around certain things. Like if my parents said, uh, what would be like, uh, uh, do I don't want you watching silence of the lambs with your brother. And my belief would be, well, then it's clearly fine for me to watch this on my own which maybe is not what the intent was, mm, but I've gotten, I've got the wiggle room. As long as I have a, a, a reasonable defense, I think that's how wow. you can get around things. Interesting. So in order to raise you, your parents really had to like become lawyers. Hey, that's words are important. Words are very important. Maybe you became the lawyer. Could, could have been, should be helpful. All right, let's get into uh, the news. We have a bit of it to talk about. Um, First off, I want to go through some of like the COVID-19 stuff because it's affecting numerous companies. And I'm just going to do my best here to go through uh, kind of what information is out there. Um, there, There's some things I have heard that I have not been able to confirm yet, but uh, let's just go company by company. We'll start with AEW. Uh, They had to switch around tonight's uh, lineup because Lance Archer announced earlier in the evening, when I returned from our last show, uh, which would have been two weeks ago, A family member was ill when I got home. I found out later a friend who had taken my family member to the vet for our dat dat shunned. Is that a dog? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Was COVID positive. While at home, while at home now, I've also gotten sick 
tested positive. I feel okay. Expect to see me in two weeks. So he was off the show, and this caused the change because it was going to be the six-man tag with Archer, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks teaming against Moxley, Will Hobbs, and Darby Allen. That was switched to John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, which for a makeshift replacement match, they kind of had this storyline that they kind of just fell into that it made complete sense. Um, but that was the Lance Archer one. Now there were, I guess people were also watching closely because there there were some people notably that were missing on tonight's show. And I mean, AEW has not commented on anyone else, but um, you know, that was what some people were, were paying attention to uh, with, like the Dark Order, and some of the members were not there tonight. Well, I didn't even consider that. Uh, but, I mean, who knows, like, whatever reason. I mean, people are relatively, you know, mysterious about all this stuff, and unless it's it's the people who are uh, affected by it volunteering the information themselves. So this was certainly a... I, so did you have any indication of, like, when Lance Archer would have actually found out? He didn't get, he wasn't that specific, but I mean, their last tapings were, when would those have been? Two weeks ago. Well, I guess I only ask because like, this was a relatively last minute decision made by AEW. Um, He must have, like, could he have known just today that he was positive? I I really don't know the timing of it all. Like, you would think if they wanted to... um, like promote a new main event, especially a title match. It's not like you're getting a lesser match. You're getting a bigger match Better that match. they would have they would have wanted to have promoted that uh, as much as they could have in advance. So, I mean, it's pure guesswork on my part that it, it maybe it wasn't so far in advance that they knew of this. Right. I would think you th- this would benefit AEW to get that news out there and promote your new match. I mean, this, this was this had several hours to promote. Yeah, literally hours. You know, I would say at the very least you would release it perhaps I don't know during earlier in the day just to maybe pick up some a bit more of the news cycle. Like this was really hours to go before the show. So I have to. I would assume that it was a pretty probably a real last minute call but in either case i thought i thought they really turned it i mean a really bad situation into i think a you know um a a decent situation for the audience you know over delivering replacing a six-man tag that people were definitely looking forward to but replacing it with uh a title match and one between two guys that i think you know your hardcore fan base definitely would really appreciate so you hear the replacement announcement and you don't even really have a chance to be disappointed i'm gonna say though i'm I'm gonna repeat this i i think it's a really bad look the fact that they still have like a a large swath of those wrestlers ringside maskless i think that's just a really bad decision to be allowing that to be so uh that that they're not enforcing masks to be worn by the, the extras on the floor yeah, sure. I mean, um, it's... They're close together. It's not like they're separate. It's like everyone is crammed together on, yeah, in, in those first few rows. I mean, their argument would be that they've all been tested. Um, but they're not in a bubble. They're not... These people are all traveling. Like, you're passing a test the day or the day before, but... And then you're, you're traveling you're, after? Outside? You're not, you're not quarantining before the this test. So it's like, if you... Are they quarantining you, after their test? After their test, they're go- they're traveling home. No, okay. So they're so they're being tested the day prior, right? Before they can enter the arena, correct? Presumably the day before. Okay. So after they've been tested and they receive their positive test, are they going out um, to other parts of Florida outside outside of Jacksonville? 
before coming back for the TV tapings? Or is it after the positive test, they go right to the TV taping? They're sorry. Are you saying like, are they leaving Jacksonville between tapings? Between the testing and the taping? No. So no, then, so then isn't that a bubble? Not, not a bubble for any, I mean, they're staying at hotels. I mean, they're not, uh, I, I don't think you're, you're talking about people that are completely, uh, isolated from society. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So from the moment that they get their testing to the moment that they record the television. Yeah. But my point is that if you are getting tested today, it doesn't mean a hundred percent that you don't have the virus. You, in the two weeks in between tapings, God knows where all these people are going. Of course. Just because you show up and you have no test. I mean, to me, throw a mask on. Like, what is the big argument against it? Other than personal comfort. Yeah, I don't really disagree with that. I think, obviously, it's like, it's just a good look to tell people on TV, you know. But I wanted to, let's just make sure, like, we're on the same page here. You're saying they're not in a bubble because... After testing, or sorry, after a TV taping, they're traveling back, and then, and then what? Coming back for the next set of tapings. What I'm saying is that yeah, they're not in this bubble in between tapings. Right, but they're being retested every time. They are being retested every time, but again, they are interacting with people in the public. They're traveling out of state in between these these different weeks. Yeah. If you contracted the the virus on. This past Monday, okay? You're not in Jacksonville yet. Maybe you're in, in California. You've contracted the virus Monday, and you're not going to be symptomatic until the end of this week. Test is not going to catch this in between that time. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something where I think AEW has been really, they've been really trusting of these test results, and mm, maybe for the most part, they've they've gotten by with it, but we do know of you know people like QT Marshall who have tested positive, and now... Uh, Lance Archer, but according to Lance Archer, it was caught outside of an AEW environment. Yes. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, in, in the end, it's like you go back to the to debate about like you know whether or not these TV these tapings should even be occurring, wrestling should even be occurring, uh, and what level of safety you know people seem to be comfortable with and. Uh, personally, I've always felt like if you're if you have the the privilege of like you know being a broadcaster, um, and especially if it's like something cosmetic like having people ringside just to decorate the set, which is what these extras are are really there for. Um, I don't think it's that much of a. I don't know. You don't lose really anything by having people in mass, but uh, it's anyway. It's a it's a it's a it's a conversation we've been having for months. It feels. Over to NXT. So this had been reported on Monday. Um, uh, John Elba from uh, Spectrum News in, in Florida reporting on this, as was uh, Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful. Fightful. They were uh, the, the first two reporting on this of potential ca- uh, positive cases in NXT that uh, may have uh, an impact on on plans. Uh, they were set to go through testing on, on Tuesday. And from... Like I have heard like the the overall number of people affected by this. I heard a number that I haven't confirmed yet, but I had two people uh separately uh, tell me today that like it was bad. And I I don't know how widespread this was and how how deep this goes. 
Um, but we we did have the NXT tapings that happened earlier in today. They were they were not live. They were live to tape today, and they finished uh, sometime around uh, five five thirty Eastern time. And uh, I mean WWE. I think we know like they are not going to be so forthcoming with you know people that are affected by any of this. And I think we people are going to be looking very closely at NXT tonight. There was uh, Novi, uh, Novik Joseph, no Wade Barrett on the show. It was called by Tom Phillips and Beth Phoenix. Um, and I haven't seen NXT, but I heard there were uh, a handful that uh, were either not on the show or people like notably uh, that people knew, noted were, were not there. I haven't seen it yet either, but uh, definitely it seems like it's, it's a story and it's, yeah, it's not something that I don't know if didn't happen, but like if this is if if this is like significant, uh, I think it's definitely probably time to be reassessed. Like they have resumed training and and stuff um, with, with like that, like what they're doing in Florida. Like should should they be training day to day? I think all of this it's like we have gotten to a certain comfort level of seeing the success of things like the NHL and the NFL. And everyone's just trying to get everything back. And now you're starting to hit that that backlash that I, I think goes beyond just the U.S. I think everyone is, is starting to see this right now where, you know, things are – I think this has been a wake-up call for a lot of people. Yeah, I would think so. Um, at the same time, like, I don't see much changing, honestly. I don't have that much faith. I mean, I it's not even just the WWE, but, like, even in our own city, John, like – there are outbreaks in like schools happening right now. I don't yep. think, I mean, they might, they might shut down schools at some point, maybe in the near future, perhaps. Um, but, um, things are certainly perhaps, perhaps not moving as fast as I think some people would like. And for other people, I mean, it's, it's just a big, big conversation, a big debate to, that, that seems to still have to occur. Uh, but I, I definitely have less faith like in certain parts, um, and, and with certain companies. And the last one is CMLL, who are, as of now, still running their anniversary show on Friday, although you could certainly debate why this show is happening. I mean, it's an empty arena show on Friday. They have announced now uh, four performers that have tested positive. We we spoke about uh, Princessa Suhey and Yuvia on Monday's show. Uh, today, they announced Ultimo Guerrero, who, I mean, everyone was looking at as the uh, the significant other uh, testing positive, as has Bandito. Uh, so he is also off of the show. And this is where it gets very um, complex because with CMLL, they have stated like they are doing testing, but I mean, it's unknown kind of what, what constitutes uh, their testing. Um, the Cubs fan at Lucha Blog uh, reported this, that Mexico City wrestling regulations require regular COVID-19 testing. CMLL has said they're following all testing regulations, have shown glimpses of testing, and have implied they're doing tests once a week. There are no more further details, including the type of test being used. Uh, Princessa Suhey's positive test came with her personal doctor in Monterey. Bandito worked CMLL show on Friday, which wouldn't have been allowed with a positive test. Any positive test seems as though it must have been him getting a test himself. It is less clear when Uvia or Ultimo Guerrero tested positive. So like you have the combination of not exactly knowing what CMLL's testing consists of 
And if you're looking at uh, in the cases of Bandito and Suhei getting their own testing done on their own, couple that with the fact that what is CMLL's um, protocol when it comes to contact tracing and these people that like Bandito, again, just worked on Friday. Um, so you have that concern. I have to look at this card on Friday. I, I really don't know why it's happening. Um, it's like typically like this is a live gate driven promotion and you're running this show without that big live gate and putting potentially uh, performers that very well could be positive that are not aware of it into the ring on Friday and having that much more of a problem. I I really think that this has like you have four cases uh, coming out within, I believe, the span of eight days. Well, has there been precedent set of them canceling shows as a result of COVID nineteen positives? I mean they they had been they had been they've only come back uh, just o- over the past month, so this is like their first real brush with it as they're trying to push through uh, w- with with shows. Um, so this is, I think, over the next twenty four hours, uh, we'll we'll see. They've had to rejig this card, and uh, what the final card looks like, uh, we will see. They are just kind of holding this thing together, but I would say. I would definitely encourage any of these wrestlers that are, if they're not confident about whatever testing has been done to get tested on their own, but you also have performers that they want to work as well. So you have that conflict of, you know, maybe not wanting to know if you're positive because then you can't work. Hmm. So COVID-19 is a mess. That's my conclusion and is wreaking havoc on everything. So that is the latest that we will uh, continue to look at. Late Night Dynamite on Tuesday night, it got started at 12.38 a.m. on TNT after Inside the NBA ended up doing 585,000 viewers and a .26 demo number, which was good for ninth for the night on cable. Uh, I, I've got to say, like, this was obviously not regular Dynamite numbers, but in some of the demos, not all that far off from what they did last week. Uh, but I just look at what this did at hey, tune in at some time after the NBA game and this late on a Tuesday night, I would say this would bode very well for TNT's confidence coupled with the Saturday and Thursday airings over the past month of finding that third hour of AEW and having confidence that this uh, this fan base is going to find this show. I, like, I thought this was a really good number for the time slot. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I watched it and I, it really felt to me like almost like a pilot of what that third hour would be. Uh, you know, we're talking matches that aren't exactly like dark. I mean, I think they had a bit more fanfare attached to them. Uh, one hour, pretty much three matches and all of them with, you know, a certain level of star power. And I would say like ultimately felt like it was a thing worth watching. But uh, I'm really curious to know how many of these fans that tuned in were uh, people who tuned in from basketball and weren't regularly AEW fans and how many were AEW fans that decided to make an effort to tune in specifically for that thing. Yeah, that's a great question of, you know, the the bleed over from the NBA audience that, you know, would have stuck around for the post-game show and then watching Dynamite afterward. Uh, but we will get into uh, some of the highlights of that show. Raw was largely consistent with the week prior and going against uh, a Monday Night Football game that aired not just on ESPN, but also ABC. So the you had... Um, both both networks doing uh well over 7 million viewers so they were against 
heavier football competition, but they did a million six hundred and sixty eight thousand viewers down just one percent uh stayed even in the demo, finishing fifth on cable uh there were nine percent losses with their male eighteen to forty nine and male twelve to thirty four audience while women eighteen to forty nine were up eighteen percent and the third hour drop from first to the third hour was only ten percent um so I think all things considered, uh, it was still their lowest viewership since uh, entering the Thunderdome. But against heavier football competition, I think you have to say that staying even is going to be considered a win during football season. And the bigger question way was the promise of seeing Slapjack, T-Bar, and what? what's the other? What's the third one? Mace. Mace. Yeah. Was seeing their first match enough that allowed uh, this third hour to have less of a, a drop-off. People wanted to see T-Bar. I guess. Yeah, I guess it's people like shit. People are attracted <laughs> to garbage. Um, and I, I think maybe next week should do really well then. Uh, what, 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 do we have any promise, though, of retribution next week? I think it's a, to be expected. I mean, they're principal players in the show. I mean, you would also be, of course, coming off a of Clash of Champions as well. That's right. But, uh, yeah, okay, cool. In Canada, they did uh, 266,900 viewers. They were the sixth most most watched sports broadcast of the night. Uh, The top top sports program was the uh, the Stanley Cup final, followed by the Jays game uh, with the Yankees. And, Way, one that I wanted to ask you about, HBO Max uh, greenlighting eight episodes for a Suicide Squad spinoff for Peacemaker, starring John Cena, where James Gunn is going to write the series and also direct several episodes, uh, including the pilot. News that caught me by surprise. I mean, the Suicide Squad hasn't even come out yet. We have no idea what this you know Peacemaker character, at least I have no idea who this Peacemaker character is uh, and what John Cena's performance in it will look like, but already... Uh, clearly, he seems to be destined for a big, big spot because he's already got his own spinoff TV show. Um, he so- is also going to, I'm just reading this, is also going to serve as co-executive producer in addition to starring. Like, this seems like a Good heavy uh, role for him and uh, involvement in, in the series. Like, this is, a, this is a big deal for him. I, I would have to assume that the experience of working with John Cena must have been tremendous. Um and the, you know, obviously, he comes with a big fan base, and he sees great star potential in, in the guy as a performer, and also as a, you know, um, I guess producer. You know, it's um, it's huge to me. The attraction is simply, you know, another superhero thing with James Gunn, who I think can take any, any non-character, like any concept, and really turn it into gold. Um, and you know, it seems I would have to imagine like with the Suicide Squad and with James Gunn's like kind of like style this will be a very comedic you know um superhero type of story um and i think john cena is fantastic anytime he's tried to do that sort of comedy in hollywood so i look forward to all that stuff without even knowing exactly who the character is and the last uh, thing we need to touch on is uh the passing of joe lornitis road warrior animal who uh it was news came out early this morning um that he he was celebrating his uh three-year wedding anniversary with his wife and uh it sounds like he just died of natural causes that's what tmz is reporting 
Um, by the time they got there late on Tuesday night, he had already died uh, when the ambulance was called. And, a, you know, an iconic tag team in the Road Warriors um, throughout the 80s and, and 90s. I mean, that was just such a iconic team from the look, the promos, uh, coming out to Iron Man. I mean, this was the team that was, I think, probably uh, the most copied uh, when it came to just a template for your muscle-bound uh, tag team. But what are some of your memories of the Road Warriors? Well, to be honest, like... When I started watching wrestling, I think I'd miss really a big part of not just, of course, their, you know, glory days like in the 80s, but um, even like much of their WWE run, I never really saw. So I don't really have a whole lot to comment as far as like my own proper experience. But of course, like their influence has been felt in any sort of wrestling I've been watching in my entire life since I've grown up. Um, I think, you know a lot of perhaps fans recently were reacquainted with the history of the road warriors through dark side of the ring. And from what I could gather, you know, according to that story, it really did feel like animal was sort of like a bit of a constant, you know, the person trying to mm, make sure like, um, things kind of stuck together. You know, the guy who maybe more so had this sort of straight and narrow path and, you know, you would, of course you attribute success to both, both those gentlemen. Um, but you know, perhaps maybe the less wild, uh, lifestyle yet, maybe the person you have to look at as, I mean, simply the one who's more responsible for keeping it together. Yeah. I mean, it really was like Hawk would be the one that would kind of blow off the handle and it was animal very much at times who kind of had to be kind of the, the, the babysitter of, of the two. And the way they came together, was very interesting because they actually knew each other before they were paired up as a team together because they would be uh, bouncing at the, at the same bar in Minnesota, grandma bees that had, you know, a number of future wrestlers that ended up uh, bouncing there and would train under Eddie Sharkey. And it was after you know, Hawk at this time had kind of just be, become become this journeyman. I think he had just come back from uh, Vancouver uh, at this point and was kind of disillusioned with it all. And Animal was in between stints in Georgia when Ole Anderson uh, came out to Minnesota. And that's when he happened to see an, uh, an 8 by 10 I believe, of Michael Hegstrand, Hawk, and decided to just put the two of them together because Animal had just been wrestling as a singles in Georgia as the Road Warrior. So they put the two together, and Ole also threw them Paul Ellering as their manager. And then they put them on TV. This was in June of 83, and Appa and Sika had had the tag titles in the territory. They had left, so they just put the belts on the Road Warriors. They didn't. They just won a fictitious tournament, and they were the new champions. And they kind of, like their initial look, I put the video in my story today. Like you can see, like they very much are like in like decked out in leather. It was, it's like a totally different look than what would be the more famous look of the road warriors slash Legion of doom. But they would go from uh, Georgia to uh, wrestling for Vern Gagne in the AWA where they did very, very well. And eventually would get to Jim Crockett promotions. That is probably the run that most would have become familiar with the road warriors. And that is where they are attached very much to dusty roads where they had the runs as the six man tag champions and also coincided with them breaking into Japan because 
on World Pro Wrestling, this is where they would just get tapes from places all over. And you can imagine how the audience took to the Road Warriors when they started. This was on the the Friday night block that had tremendous viewership. And the Road Warriors, they would start airing matches and promos and eventually brought them in in March of 85. And they were an immediate hit in all Japan and a very lucrative part of the world for the Road Warriors to go. So they were bouncing between both. And this was where, like, the Road Warriors pretty much did not lose. And you had to come up with a lot of creative ways it was one of the reasons, like, why put the tag titles on them in Crockett's territory, where how are we going to get the titles off these guys? So you had to be very, very clever. When they finally did put the tag titles on them, they had to do this heel ref gimmick with Teddy Long fast counting Hawk in order to get the tag titles off them. But they were they were very judicious about when they were going to lose and even selling to the point that, you know, you remember the famous spots of Hawk. He, he would take, like, Jerry Lawler's pile driver pop right up. I mean, these were guys that were not the easiest uh, baby faces to to book, but they were also red hot with the audience that just loved watching these guys kill dudes. And that became a, a huge part of their appeal. Um, you fast forward and eventually it's Jim Hurd who wants to like cut down their deals. That's their exit out of uh, what is WCW at this point, And they go over to the WWF and they flipped the name to the Legion of Doom, which was a name that they were already somewhat using as a moniker. And they win the tag titles there. But in 92, that's when, you know, to Way's point about kind of the friction at times between the two where, you know, you are you are attached at the hip to this person. And Hawk, he fails a drug test in early 92 and they get the tag titles off of them, which even at this point in 92 had to be done on a house show that they didn't tape and did not air on television. That's how the Legion of Doom was going to lose these tag titles. So one week, I remember this as a as a kid, that Money Incorporated all of a sudden are the tag champions. And there's no footage of this. It's just the Road Warriors lost the tag titles. So uh, they are off TV for six weeks. They come back at WrestleMania and they pair them again with Paul Ellering. But that only goes until SummerSlam where the Legion of Doom are very much... You know, you're just seeing like they are not the Legion of Doom that you had seen as the Road Warriors. They've given them. Do you remember when they had the uh, the doll? They had given them a Rocco as their little mascot. This was their idea they had for for the Legion of Doom to give them a little doll named Rocco that uh, they would they would go around with. You know, that's what these guys need a doll. Yeah, I'd heard about all these things, but I, I never got to experience them live. So, um, well, I could only imagine the zaniness. Um... That that would come in pro wrestling, yes. Um, but SummerSlam '92 is kind of the uh, the separation point because uh, this was outlined a lot in Dark Side of the Ring, and animals talked about it. Like Hawk is a mess during this match, and he just goes AWOL afterward. And Animal has to keep like he's got to work, and they just pair him. He was working with Brian Adams on shows, and ends up breaking his tailbone and he had one of those Lloyds of London policies. So after this injury, he didn't wrestle for over three years um, after leaving the WWF. And it's during that stretch that Hawk goes to new Japan uh, with Kensuke Sasaki as the Hellraisers. that was originally pitched to Hawk. Hey, let's be the new road warriors. He would not go that far, but this upset animal that they were continuing on. So, um, he, I guess in his mind, was not retired or just upset that they were kind of 
because the Hellraisers, it was very much a take off the Road Warriors, but they ended up, they reconciled and Animal even went over there to New Japan and and worked uh, with Hawk and even did a six man with, with Kensuke Sasaki. They go to WCW for a cup of coffee and then they have their last run with the WWF that takes them through 97. They have, we were just talking about the Canadian Stampede the other night. They were in that big main event in Calgary and then in... 98, they're repackaged as LOD 2000. They're given Sonny as a manager. And that's kind of the last, I guess, that WrestleMania win was kind of like their last big thing in WWF. Because afterwards, you just have the mess with Darren Drozdoff. Uh, Hawk is just playing a, a drug addict on TV. I mean, they're just making fun of his like real-life problems. And falls off the Titantron. This was all such a mess. And then they are just kind of just getting beaten like drums uh, and then they leave the company in 99. They would bounce all over the place and pop up now and then in different companies. They would show up in TNA. They did a, a one shot with WWE years later, but it was pretty much the end of the Road Warriors at this point until Hawk died in 2003. And then you had um, Joe Laurinaitis come back for that, that last WWE run, uh, which pretty much everyone forgets with the new Legion of Doom with John Heidenreich and Christy Hemi, the LOD. I don't think anybody remembers. Um, I remember it, unfortunately. Um, but it happened. Yeah, but it, it was very sad. I mean, he died on his wedding anniversary and was scheduled to be at uh, Jerry Lawler's fiftieth uh, anniversary show this coming weekend. Um, Sixty years old, which man, that is really young. It um, is really. I mean. I mean, we we don't know what uh, the cause of death was. I mean, he was someone that, I mean, he noted it himself in his book about, you know, getting into steroids even before he got into wrestling. And that was a big part of the Road Warriors presentation was looking the way they did. Mm -hmm. So uh, an unfortunate passing uh, that uh, came out this morning, but I'm sure I would definitely recommend the the book that they put out a number of years ago that um, Animal was a part of, you could tell like when he put his book out, he really wanted to do a really good job. And you can see with like just his involvement with the dark side piece, he takes the Road Warrior legacy very seriously. And you could see that in the book. Like it's a pretty comprehensive rundown of their careers. Um, so anyway, there's tons of promos to watch of the Road Warriors and a lot of their uh, classic moments. Uh, spanning many, many different companies and was brought up tonight on AEW uh, as did NXT who ran a graphic at the start of the show. So if you want to read more about Road Warrior Animal, there is a story up at postwrestling.com that you can check out. But let's go on over to, do you want to start off, uh, just chat uh, briefly about uh, Tuesday night's one hour show? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, as I previously discussed, I mean, this was a very easily watchable show, only three matches and three i would say pretty enjoyable matches but i think the one that'll probably have people talking the most will likely be uh uh scorpio sky and uh i forget the dude's name ben, ben john ben carter ben, ben johnson would have been <laughs> could you imagine chris jericho ben calling johnson. a ben johnson match um <laughs> no but um ben carter was uh he was very fast but i don't know if he was uh that fast um hopefully not as controversial no no uh he didn't. He didn't cheat. 
Yeah, um, you know, I found this pretty unusual because like Ben Carter really had had no introduction to us on Dynamite. I believe he had, had a prior match on Dark. He was on Dark this week as well. Um, but he's done a few on Dark, yeah. Yeah, but like nothing on Dynamite and, you know, I would consider this even though it's like a not a proper edition of Dynamite, I would still consider it a pretty featured role and certainly going into the show, this to me was one of the matches with the most advertising surrounding it. So to headline almost, you know, one of these uh, special editions of Dynamite leading right from an NBA game with a relative complete unknown, I, in my opinion, and Ben Carter, I think told you immediately how much they thought of him and um, how right they were. If you watch the match, you know that this guy truly, of course, immediately from the get go watching him feels like somebody special. Yeah, and I couldn't help but make the comparison in my head of watching what they did in 15 minutes with Ben Carter. If you have not watched any of AEW Dark, and this is your introduction, and they made this whole match about Ben Carter, and they made a big deal of Ben Carter afterward, that he felt like the story of the show. And I look at Keith Lee, and you watch this, it's like it doesn't have to be all that difficult, I think, to introduce someone and make them feel like a star. That's what Ben Carter felt like after this, even in losing. They put such a big emphasis on him. And he did great in this match. I thought it was easily the best match of this this hour. Uh, but the, he is a tremendous talent at 22. Um, man, he just the he can do all of the high flying, but he has such a such a velocity with his flips mm-hmm. and the timing of it all. It's uh, like this is a real special talent for sure, and incredibly young too. You know, something I've, I've been really like happy with. See, AEW's kind of like, um, um, I don't know, arrival like this year is, is just how much they've been willing to put, you know, pretty much like unknowns on their TV. And what I've loved even more about it is the fact that they managed to see rating success with a lot of these risks that they've been, they've been taking. A lot of audiences just simply taking to, you know, these new faces appearing. And it's in turn, I think, encouraged them to do things more like this. Um, and thus you have like cases where, you know, again, like a guy who really comes, I would say comes from, you know, relative obs- obscurity, but of course, like really diehard fans or friends at the British wrestling experience, they would have been well familiar with him for a long time. But for the most part, you know, people wouldn't be. But because AEW puts such such an emphasis on in-ring quality, if they tell you to watch somebody, I'm going to pay attention. If it's somebody, uh, you know, like a war horse, like competing uh, you know, against Cody for for uh, whatever uh, TNT Championship. Like I know, there's probably a reason why this guy is getting the shot, and for, usually you get rewarded, you know, by paying attention. And that was the case here. You don't have that on the main roster in the WWE. Matches just simply don't matter that much, and you see week after week on Raw how little they think about the stuff in between the bells. The bells. Um, it's meaningless. It's there to just fill time. Uh, for you know, maybe catch people's attention if they're channel surfing, but there's absolutely no, very little kind of like weight put on the ending. Uh, for the most part, the matches themselves aren't really all that spectacular. So no matter who they announce, no matter how big the name is, I find myself caring less and less and less. Whereas you talk about even something like this dynamite, um, even if it's a relative unknown, even if I don't know the guy. I'm going to pay a bit more attention if you tell me that this is going to be an important match because the matches almost always deliver. And this was a great advertisement for Dark. Like, this tells you that 
you know, if I want to see the undiscovered talent, Dark can be that that funnel that brings in all these independent stars. And I think that's what Dark should aspire to be more so than just the, you know, you, you want to have uh, time for your contracted talent that doesn't have a spot on Dynamite Weekly, but it's also a great showcase to bring in the hottest indie talent that's out there. And I saw Todd Martin bring this up today is that WWE really needs to address this when it comes to scouting and, you know, being at the forefront to try and find like your next talent that you're going to be bringing in. It's like you have AEW that are really have their ear to the ground with the, the independent stars and, and who are those talents coming up next. And that to me would be what you want dark to become is like where you can, you can get exposure to all these hot names that people haven't heard of yet. Absolutely. On the subject of Dark, I mean, I ended up watching uh, his match against Lee Johnson, which appeared on, on this week's episode. That's a match I also highly recommend, and I actually personally might have even enjoyed more than the Scorpio Sky match. Both those talents are fantastic, and um, yeah, this was a great week for, for Ben Carter, for sure. Yeah, they went 12 minutes. Uh, Sky got cut around the right eye, and kind of the story was like Sky was respectful of Carter, but got started to get frustrated that Carter kept kicking out and it took him uh, a fisherman buster. Sky kicks, uh, sorry, it's uh, Carter that kicks out. Sky can't believe it. And then finally a TKO uh, for the victory. But this this match, it was all about Ben Carter. Uh, the announcers were putting him over and and Scorpio Sky knew like he's going over, but he, it, the goal of this was Ben Carter. And I think they did a really great job of introducing this guy to the point that the next time that on Dynamite, they announce next week, Ben Carter returns and is in action. I think people will be really amped to see this guy on Dynamite. And I would follow up with a Dynamite match and not put him right back on Dark. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I continue to like really wonder, though, about like maybe their kind of synergy between their actual shows. Because uh, as much as we might talk about this, if you happen to be one of those people who missed this show on Dynamite watching it tonight, you wouldn't really have any idea. You know, and I thought they should have at least put a big spotlight on this match. Like, really, all they noted was in passing the Anna J Brandy Rhodes match when um, when Anna J was out there. But you're right. Like, they should have. Like, if you missed this, you missed a hell of a match and a breakout performance from Ben Carter. That's the guy you need to keep your eyes on. And it was he was the talk of 1 a.m. wrestling Twitter last night. <laughs> Or is this strategic on AEW's part? Like, would they rather, you know, throw it out there, see what the re audience's reaction is, and then maybe come up with a proper game plan for introducing him to, you know, perhaps, you know, your your, your Wednesday proper audience? I don't think it hurts to at least, the buzz is fresh 24 hours later. You can have your game plan for Ben Carter uh, that doesn't have to be hatched out tonight, but give us that buzz because it's so fresh that, I think coming off of that, they, they should have made a bigger deal of this on Wednesday night. And and I hope that there's sufficient follow-through for Ben Carter after this. I don't think he would have been placed on this special if they didn't have uh, hopes for him to, mm -hmm. to be more ingrained with like the, the main show. Right. Anna Jay and Brandy Rhodes, uh, I thought I thought for what you would expect going into this, I think that they uh they did a better job than I than I was expecting. They got six minutes here. Jay went for the Queen Slayer, and Brandy used a roll-up to get out of that, and Excalibur noted that Anna Jay didn't have the hooks in for the full effect of the Queen Slayer. Uh, 
There's a sling blade by Brandy. And then Stu Grayson is coming out but gets stopped by Evil Uno who prevents the run-in. And this would play into Wednesday Night Show as well with Evil Uno. Brandy has the cover, but Paul Turner is distracted, only gets a two-count. So in a weird way, it actually did assist here uh, by preventing Anna Jay from getting covered. She hits a high kick and then applies the hooks-in version of the Queen Slayer, and Brandy Rhodes goes out cold at 6.05. I thought both these two did really well. Um, it, there's honestly nothing wrong with the match, which um, I I often you know, have concerns, especially when we're talking about people with like relatively, I don't know, um, less, lesser levels of experience, but this was like a perfectly fine, enjoyable match. Brandy showed a great deal of aggression stepping off of the angle that, um, you know, uh, connected these two together. It, it felt like a really good grudge match. Marvez was with Scorpio sky. He put over Ben Carter and he's going for the TNT title. He says he's in the top five. Then Matt Seidel walked in telling Scorpio Sky he's awesome. And yeah. Sky noted that he eliminated Sean Spears in the Casino Battle Royale. Sky will be watching and puts over Matt Seidel and does his Ric Flair impression. Yeah. Uh, there was plenty I enjoyed on the show. Um, Matt Seidel's acting was not one of those. Uh, this was pretty bad, in my opinion. Uh, and wait, wait, me- were you were you waiting for mid sentence for Alex Marvez to just uh <laughs> be going to ask a question and Seidel just puts his head down and shakes it? Well, I I really do have a, a tr- like I, I my 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 view certainly is skewed because I think I'm permanently I permanently have John Pollock's interview with Evan Bourne from <laughs> the Niagara Falls uh, WWE pile driver drop zone thing permanently etched in my mind where. Um, it's still up on YouTube, I believe, but it's like Matt Seidel just like mid sentence realizing the thing that he just said was so totally stupid that he just shook his own head in disgust at himself. Uh, I, not, not everybody's going to be able to like be amazing, um, at these sort of things. And certainly AEW is a, is a place where Seidel can flourish without having to do this type of acting. But man, when it's out there like this and it's this bad, you have to call it out. This was this was bad. Well, the match was better than the promo. We had Matt Seidel against Sean Spears with Tully Blanchard in the corner. Jericho, who's on commentary throughout the night, uh, mentioned losing to Matt Seidel on a pay-per-view 10 years ago. Jericho likes matches, he says, that begin with the exchange of holds. And then he puts over Matt Seidel for having good psychology. And then... During the exchanges, Excalibur is giving his rundown of Matt Seidel. <laughs> Notes that he has had <laughs> shamanic experiences. And at this point, you can tell Jericho and especially Jim Ross, they ride a very fine line with Excalibur. And this broke these two. Jim Ross is just, I imagine this man throwing his papers in the air. Here, here's what? A- <laughs> what is a shamanic experience? And Excalibur is trying to explain ayahuasca to Jim Ross. This was the most unintentionally hilarious exchange where you are. It's so evident when Jim Ross has had it with Excalibur and we get it again on tonight's show. Yeah, sure. They lost it. Absolutely. And that sometimes is part of the fun. I, I you know, uh, going back to dark, like I thought Ricky Starks with Taz and Veda Scott and commentary, They've been a lot of fun together, too. So 
it's it's it seems like it's very loose and it seems like these people are genuinely having fun but i mean i listen to something like that and it's like that's the dude's gimmick like he's he's been doing this gimmick like for years now so to me it's just excalibur paying attention and jim ross reacting the way he has might be the way that i would say maybe maybe it's the way the public would would react but like to me it's just like I don't know, somebody being well-researched and, and doing their job, like him mentioning, you know, the Kawada references to in, in Eddie Kingston's tights. Oh, I didn't That's like that at all. good research. So I don't know if it's worth chastising because it just kind of makes, you know, the person who's surprised by it kind of look like they haven't done their research. No, I, listen, I, I enjoyed, like, this reaction because it was so out there. But when it's Excalibur, like, speaking to the wrestling fan and the reaction is that, Stop being such a wrestling nerd. I mean, you're broadcasting to a lot of wrestling nerds. And the ones that aren't, uh, that's just a cool fact. And it doesn't have to register with every single person. But to shun the person, it almost is just, um, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I, I, I don't like the the level of those those shutdowns that they do just because a wrestling maneuver has a weird name to it. Yeah. Um, the C4 gets blocked. Seidel holds onto the rope, hits a Meteora. And then on the floor, Seidel lays out Spears, who's on a chair. And this allows Blanchard behind the referee to load up his glove. And then during a roll-up attempt, Spears punches Seidel and pins him in 943. And then Scorpio Sky chases Sean Spears away. And this seemed to be more or less directing Scorpio Sky in some way with Spears while he's got the TNT championship on his mind. And that was the one hour dynamite that, I mean, no big angles, nothing that was, I I wouldn't say anything that would drive you to stay up and watch this unless you had the curiosity to do so. But I would say for those that did stay up, I think you'd be pretty happy that you got a pretty, pretty good 45 minute episode and a real big spotlight on Ben Carter for this episode. Definitely seemed to exist somewhere between, you know, on a level of, of relevance, somewhere between dark and dynamite. Um, in that it's kind of got that mid tier, you know, it's got like the, you know, the big buzzed about debut and Ben Carter had a bit of a follow up of a, of a storyline that you did see on Dynamite and Brandy versus Anna Jay and leaves you with a bit more to come back with rather than maybe just a succession of just matches. So um, I, I'd feel like if they're going to be promoting a third hour, it might have to be a bit meatier than just exactly what we saw here. I think it might need a bit more actual star power than what we saw here. But as far as like the wrestling goes, three matches was perfect and they were all enjoyable. Yeah. And at the same time, I think they, it was win-win because they didn't give away anything big. And the number was very promising. I think for that time at almost one in the morning to be the ninth, <laughs> number nine on cable. Uh, that's, that's not bad. It's, well, what's the competition at one in the morning? This was for the whole night on camera. Oh, the whole night. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. impressive. This was against everything. Jeez. So that was really good that they did as as well as they did. Um, so now into tonight's show, um, they announced Moxley and Kingston off the bat, and then Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford come out, followed by Miro in his new best man shirt. Janella and Kiss do a promo, and Janella said that Sabian made a mistake proposing to Penelope Ford. They're here to win, and they are on the express to victory. Miro is huge. This dude, dude him and I, I think him and Matt Cardona like got into a microwave and just expanded like a popcorn bag would. Possibly, man. But like, man, including with like the the tan that would come if you were in a microwave for about a day. 
Well, my first thought is if if Twitch streaming is going to make your traps look that big, um, maybe I'll maybe I'll go live like right after this. Twitch.tv slash uh, Tingbar. <laughs> Tingbar, yeah. But seriously, like his shoulders were like insane. Well, this match was something. Um, early on, Excalibur says that Archer came into contact with someone positive and is off out of precaution, which was not how Archer framed it. Yeah, I didn't like this at all. I mean, listen, you've already gone this far. Like, you've changed the main event. Um, the man himself has tweeted about it. Why not tell the whole truth, you know? Yeah, it just felt to me, um, at at best, uh, his messages were crossed. At worst, it was deceptive. Yeah. To to lessen what was happening. The man flat out said he had tested positive, And that's for everybody to see. Mm. Uh, Ross calls the backstory between Joey Janela and Penelope Ford dirt sheet material. Then uh, Janela gets the tag, but Aubrey Edwards misses it. So puts him back into the corner. Janela eventually gets in and hits Miro, who just stands there, and then chases after Janela. He hops to the floor, and he immediately is limping and can't put weight on his ankle. And you think this is just him selling, but the man deserves an Oscar if that was the case, because then he blew about like his next series of spots, including this frightening one where he tries to send Kip Sabian over the guardrail and Sabian nearly crashed down on his neck coming down. Then Janela jumps at Miro who can't catch him. Uh, this just kind of fell apart at this point. And then within a couple of minutes, the the ankle seemed to be okay. So this looked like he legit just uh, landed badly and was trying to get, get his ankle back into get its feeling back because this played absolutely no role into the match other than it fell apart in the middle. It's hard for me to tell, honestly. Well, Miro in the ring grabs Janela and throws him to Kip Sabian for a suplex on the edge of the apron. This did not look like a wise idea. He kicked kiss with a head kick, stomped the back and applies what the announcers were trying to come up with a good name for with the Cobra Clutch. Jim Ross just calls it the accolade, but it is game over, which Miro did yell upon uh, setting it up. So mm. guess what, Kenta? This is your latest North American wrestler to steal one of your no. uh, names or finishes. Poor guy, that's right. Yeah. European-based wrestler. But here we go, game over from Miro. Yeah, uh, maybe you could call it like, Thanks for gifting the sub. Uh, Should have called it um, copyright. Oh, copyright. Hmm. You know, copyright clutch. <laughs> copyright clutch. I um, I thought the match overall was like pretty good to me. Like what I was mainly looking for was just Rusev's uh, or Miro's debut and his portrayal. To me, he he did feel like he came across as a more intense version of himself in ring. Despite, you know, perhaps the video game and like sort of the the comedic aspects of this character in ring, the man is still being portrayed as a pretty serious threat, showed a lot of personality, which I, I thought was overall a positive. I, I just thought midway through, I thought I thought this really got sloppy and maybe like there was a, you know, a concern of an injury in the middle that might have been the issue there. I just thought it got really sloppy towards the the latter half of this. I didn't think this was a really great match on the show. 
Um, but they're quickly move on by Eddie Kingston storming the ring and tells them to leave the hard camera on. Calls the fans morons and updates them if they don't follow social media. He's facing Moxley. He was never eliminated from the Battle Royal in 18 years, says he deserves this title shot. Moxley and him used to be cut from the same cloth, but John sold out and went to the world of sports entertainers while he didn't sell his soul to the devil. Where are you, sports entertainer? And Moxley comes down, they go nose to nose, and then the officials separate them. So a really good promo just to set up the main event coming up at the end of the show. Yeah, um, for anybody who didn't know about the match, I mean, simply putting a microphone in Eddie Kingston's hand for him to talk about it, it will probably make you want to watch anything. So you can't really, I think, have a big Eddie Kingston match without actually hearing him talk about it. And in a short amount of time, the guy managed to really encapsulate all you really needed to know, why he's getting a title shot, uh, the history he shares between he and John Moxley, what he thinks of John Moxley, calling him a sports entertainer, and yeah, really all you needed. Kenny Omega was on commentary for our latest match. <laughs> Jim Ross thanked him for dressing up in a white t-shirt and shorts for the occasion. <laughs> I thought this was great. Uh, Evil Uno took on Hangman Page, and once again they explained this was a tag match that they offered to Omega and Page to face Uno and Grayson, but Hangman or uh, Omega is not interested in tag matches anymore. And it was noted here by several people who noted their absence that when the Dark Order came out, uh, we did not see Alex Reynolds or Stu Grayson out there for any of the Dark Order segments tonight. So I don't know what that means, but they weren't there. Hmm. Okay. They also plugged the next live show that'll be in two weeks on October the 7th. So it looks like they're, uh, they're taping next week's show. Excalibur just buries Hangman Page's bridging technique, noting to Omega, look, this fucking guy is flat-footed, didn't use the tips of his toes for pressure. Fucking guy. <laughs> Omega just then one-ups Excalibur by explaining the psychology behind Evil Uno wearing a vest, saying it gives him a layer of protection in addition to hiding his hideous physique. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Uno then uses Rick Knox as a shield, uses Knox to set up a neck breaker. I thought there was way too much use of Rick Knox here where he was like actively trying to like hold the other. Um, evil Uno tells the Dark Order. It's, it's to, the evil spot. Th yeah, exactly. Where the referee has to play reluctant uh, ass assist. So the Dark Order wants to interfere, but Evil Uno has them back off. So this is the second straight night where Evil Uno is trying to stop any interference. Omega is being asked if he's going to go help Hangman, but Omega says the Dark Order is being sent to the back. Page doesn't need me. So he doesn't leave. There's a pump kick and swanton bomb by Uno for a two count, but then Page hits a pop-up powerbomb, buckshot lariat, and he wins in 11 minutes and 39 seconds. I personally enjoyed the match. I thought, you know, um, seeing Evil Uno get to work a singles match to me was um, a lot of fun. Um, like, he's a big guy who flies, like, and does, like, really, everything he does looks pretty good. And uh, getting, you know, uh, another singles Adam Page match is never really a bad thing. Um, I'm, I think the story that they're telling this week, I don't know really how far it advanced, you know, um, it was just kind of more of the same of what you had last week where Kenny is on commentary kind of like, I think the impression that he was giving off on this episode was that he 
is starting to like Paige again and is like trying to withhold himself from wanting to get back together with Paige. Is that how you interpreted it? Um, I mean, he was still adamant at the beginning that his tag career is over. Uh, but I guess they're kind of telling the story that Paige is having a lot of success as a singles performer. Um, despite I think Omega believing that he would fall apart without him. So, um, I think that this is more so leading to eventually Omega versus Page, but I don't know if that's something long term down the road or something that maybe they could get to by the next pay per view in November. Maybe definitely long term, but in the near future, I d- I mean I didn't really get much of a sense of like you know heat between the two. Like I got more of a sense of like Kenny wanting to to help Page out, but because of everything that's went on, like he kind of has to hold himself back. Maybe they do the Brett and Owen deal where you think that they did the breakup, but then over Christmas, they get back together. They settled things together. And now they're going after the Quebecers for the tag titles. And this leads to Kenny Omega kicking hangman's leg out of his leg. So they did an edition of WWE timeline about that specific story. Like just Brett and Owen um, earlier this year. I, fantastic storytelling and that video that you just mentioned john of the two of them like holding each other like you know arm in arm um we had a great thanksgiving what we had a great christmas dinner christmas holidays we had a great i, I remember holidays. every every beat of that storyline i remember from that time period <laughs> that's I, but yeah. that specific interview john because like you know the last time we saw those two they were like yeah i mean they were like you know angry at each other and then the next scene is like they're both smiling, like with the biggest, corniest smiles. And they're like, oh, my brother Owen, uh, we sometimes we have misunderstandings. But you know what? He's just like, they're just really playing up like how great friends they've suddenly become over Christmas to the point where it's like they start like doing sort of like the fake, you know, slow rolling punch on each other's chin. Like that, those are images that like I'll never forget because they were playing it up like so corny in hindsight, but it was it was just so so well done and so funny. I, I've told this story before, but there was uh, of of all the times that I would be watching wrestling and have to have uh, my dad share his thoughts. It was during the <laughs> the first time they tried to split up the Hardy Boys, and this was in December of two thousand one, and. They're having their their feud that is not doing very well, and they're airing the video package. And my dad, he just chimed in and thought it was horrible that two two brothers are fighting right at Christmas time. Christmas, how could they? Anyway, yeah. I tried to tell him it's not going to work anyway, Dad. They'll be much better back together. I hope you never show him like Dark Side of the Ring or like you know any of these real stories. I should have showed him uh, the final deletion. Like, look at this. Wow. Over over the summer break. So Tony Schiavone was with Matt Jackson from earlier in the day. And Matt handles the interview by himself, so he never saw Nick. And he says that he can't remember Marvez's name. He thinks that Mike Posey's name is Mike Poser. He says, we've gone through a lot. We've lost title opportunities, relationships with, with friends to explain their actions of late. Tony brings up FTR and Matt's pissed. He doesn't want to talk about them. And then he asks Tony for his phone. Never, ever give someone your phone if they ask you for it. He takes this iPhone and he smashes it against the wall. And he leaves it with Tony. And this man, Tony Schiavone, what a saint, puts in a plug for their book at the end. Saying maybe they can put that in their book. 
whole new chapter. Tony Schiavone is fantastic. This poor phone. Um, Matt, Matt's got to dial it down a little. It's just, it's, it's too overly dramatic. Some of the, <laughs> like, dude, really? he's just, it's just oh, man. way too much, like a little bit of just normal reaction to certain life experiences. Oh. I, I, I don't disagree with you. At the same time, it's like, what, what got these guys to the dance is them doing this level of over-the-top, you know, very pseudo-comedic acting on BTE. and um, This isn't supposed to be comedic, though. Well, you're right. It's true. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I think that's the only speed. Like, he really knows how, how to play. Like, I mean, we've seen him do serious before, but it's still been like that sort of very over-the-top, like, you know... Here's exactly how I'm feeling, type of thing, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think some people enjoy, it, but you're 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 definitely right to maybe point it out. I mean, wrestling has a great outlet. Okay, it's called shoot interviews. Okay, if you want to hear a wrestler talk about why they fucking hate someone, there are more than enough examples out there about what wrestlers sound like in everyday life about why they hate somebody. And it can be many different degrees, but it can set. No one ever watches uh, most wrestler interviews and don't buy the delivery. So I think that there's there's just there's room for improvement. That's what I'm saying. But this is like sort of like what they're doing is 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 kind of funny, isn't it? Like coming out, super kicking people, and throwing money at the boss. I, I listen. I like the money stuff. Like th- there's a lot that they're doing well. I just think some of these. Uh, like this Matt Jackson promo to me, it's just a little bit too much. I'm, I'm trying to act instead of just trying to sound like Matt Jackson. That's explaining his characters, justifying his character's actions. Right. Yeah. I guess I don't know if the real Matt Jackson will like take Tony Schiavone's phone and smashing, smash it against the wall and throw money at him. Ah, the phone thing was fine. Everyone can sympathize that that's a dick thing to do. So I, I didn't mind that spot at all. Should Brody have Lee a better case could have yes. Brody Lee Orange Cassidy for the TNT Championship. Cassidy dumps his shirt onto John Silver and then puts the sunglasses on Anna Jay. And John Silver's having a fit on the floor, and he also casually picks up the TNT title and holds it. And I just watch for these little things and hope that they lead to something on Monday. Possibly, yeah. If if it would be a story that would be told, it would probably be on BTE. Um, what? Like, you've been looking at my title? What the fuck? Is your name John Gold? You don't touch fucking gold, silver, because you're second place, which means first loser. Fuck. (laughs) That's fantastic. So he puts his hands in his pockets, does the light kicks, and then Brody Lee beats the piss out of this guy. The holy hell is being beaten out of him. Pulp and all. It's like very one-sided here. He's suplexing Cassidy from one side of the ring to the other. Cassidy eventually outsmarts all the seconds on the floor, lays them out with the orange punch and gets out of the way. Counters into a stunner on Lee, but th- and then hits deep impact off the top to Lee. Hits a pair of penalty kicks, swinging DDT, air raid crash. It's just move after move. When all of a sudden... He hits the orange punch on Silver, but Lee stops Cassidy with a power bomb and hits him with the discus lariat that everyone stays down for. And he pins Cassidy in eleven thirty-five. Like there was really, 
you gave Orange Cassidy a shine, but this was a definitive win for Brody Lee. Like, they aren't cutting any corners here. We don't got to worry about uh, protecting anybody. It's You're going to get a winner and a loser here. And I, I thought, like, this was a pretty definitive win for Brody Lee. It definitely was, like, to the point where it kind of surprised me because, you know, this is Orange Cassidy coming off of the Jer- Chris Jericho feud. He's built up all that moment- momentum. He's won the Chris Jericho feud. And it would, of course, make sense to put him in a title match, but um, to just have him lose, you definitely perhaps, you know, wonder what the intent was. Like, was now the right time? Like, I, I think it would have been too early to take the belt off of Brody Lee, but would now have been the right time to uh, put, just even make this match if, you know, you're kind of talking about a situation where neither guy might really benefit from or, you know, might suffer a lot from a loss. But, I mean, it's Orange Cassidy, and, you know, the guy will still probably be viewed as um, the most one of the most popular people on the roster, even despite the loss. The question is, can he continue to be seen as, you know, a viable contender, like a top-level contender, um, at least for a TNT title, if not even for something bigger? I think the goal of the match was, you know, to make him at least seem like he was, and I thought they came really close in making me believe that there might have been a title change. So, in that sense, yes. Um, but... Do you, what do you think, John? Does this like take him down a notch from like where he might have been with the Jericho thing, or do you think it helped, or was it neutral? I think with Cassidy losing here, I think that it's it's the same. I, I think that we have a a large amount of the audience that is conditioned to when you see this, it's your template is what happens in WWE that someone loses and it's suddenly there's no rehab for them, they fall down, and it's kind of a, an indictment of that performer. The AEW, I have a lot of faith that they're not just after all of that time spent building up to that Jericho thing, that this was done for absolutely no reason with without an idea for where Cassidy is going next. So I kind of reserve judgment there. I do think that both companies deal with this. Your easy answer is to say, well, you could have just found another baby face for Brody Lee to beat. But part of this is that every week you do have to be able to present two or three key matches that have some star power attached to them. Like, that's part of the game. In WWE, they book these matches, and then they give you shit finishes uh, because they don't want to beat anyone. Mm -hmm. And we've seen what that has on the audience that groans at that, and you have no believability in wins and losses. Here, like, Cassidy is one of their stars. This was was probably the number one match this week. If not, it was the six-man prior to the change. But it was one or two. And I think people looked at this, it's like, how are they going to book this one? Because it's not the time to beat Cassidy, and it's probably not the time to beat Brody Lee, but they did give you a winner and a loser, and I would say if you have strong booking attached to it, I don't think this is a negative at all, that there's a story to be told for a winner and a story to be told for a loser, and thus far, I think that you have largely, I think you have faith in AEW that Cassidy is one guy that they do have ideas for and have spe- they have put a lot into that character to just blow it off for no reason and just lose tr- for no no tangible reason right yeah yeah no very good points do you have uh, any indication what what that next program might be or like do you think this continues with him or does he move on from the tnt thing for a while i think he gets away because it it would seem to be like Cody coming back for the TNT title. That should probably be the the title picture. But I don't know if you keep Orange Cassidy around the Dark Order. I don't know if there's much to that. 
But I do hope that there's something significant that because there was no hint of it here. He was he was really just beat. And mm-hmm. I mean, we're kind of left to see where that takes him uh, next week. That would be my disappointment is like, you know, if after the loss, the guy doesn't really sell the loss or like there's no real story coming off of it. Like sure. what, what you yeah. say is absolutely true. You know, you can really like tell as much you can really help a character grow and, you know, become that much more valuable to the company via loss as you can sometimes from a win. Uh, but the key is, you know, that is the guy getting a story coming off of this? So I guess we shall see. The lights go out and we get Cody and his return. And it's been a big transformation. The man has dyed his hair black. And he attacks the Dark Order. He hits a Cody Cutter to five. Uh, Brody Lee has has fleed with the title. And he wraps five's leg around the post. And then, this is going to be a mouthful, applied the figure four to five and tried <laughs> to snap the man's leg into two. <laughs> uh. So Cody is back and he's angry. Yep, Cody returning with, uh, I guess... Old look, um, but even darker than usual. Yeah, yeah. Really trying to give him like a mean streak that he comes back from that one-sided beating. And next week, uh, Brody Lee, first of all, he cuts a promo in the back about Cody leaving for five weeks and what kind of a man uh, leaves others to fight the battle for him. Mentioning Dustin facing Brody and then Anna Jay beating Brandy. And says, what kind of a man lets his wife post thirst traps while calling me daddy which is a line i didn't expect to come out of brody lee on tonight's show uh that's that's uh something i was i have not been aware of um that's been occurring through social media are, are were you familiar with these thirst traps well i think brandy responded to this afterward oh with with, with a what? photo and i think she said bitch please Wow. Okay. All right. Brody is holding a dog collar because you just naturally you're going to a wrestling show. You pack a dog collar just in case. And he is going to wrap this around Cody's neck and that godforsaken tattoo. And you will have nowhere to run or hide. You have one week to answer the challenge. Are you a man or are you a coward? And I'm guessing that this will probably, what do you think, be on the anniversary show in a couple of weeks? Um, yeah, that could that could make sense. I mean, that seems to be the big show coming up. Um, but really, they can, they have a number of, like, you know, pretty big shows. Um, so, but I would guess the anniversary show, sure. Matt Hardy limps out with Private Party, and it is Matt Hardy's 46th birthday. And he gets a light birthday chant. We've got to say, with being live... I mean, this was another one where it was like the crowd heat was very minimal. Yeah, compared to the tape, yes. And now becoming more of an advocate for tape shows. Hmm. But here we are. He was attacked from behind last week, and we've got a mystery. He says the attacker was masked and hit him with either a pipe or a bat. And then later, Jericho and Hager wandered in, and Jericho happened to be brandishing a bat. And therefore, Detective Hardy of the Hardy Boys (laughs) (laughs) believes that Jericho is the prime suspect and then uh, had an impromptu match uh, with the English language as he tried to get out. The more things change, the more things stay the same. 
And he eventually got this one out. And then calls Jericho an asshole. So Chris Jericho did not do it. Well, he's the prime suspect, but then Jericho denied it. Yeah. And I mean, wrestling logic will tell you that he actually didn't do it. Unless unless else. we're talking about Zelina Vega and um, <laughs> poisoning Montez Ford's drink. Holy God. shit. Remember that? That didn't happen all that long ago, and I completely have forgotten about the poisoning angle. But, you know, this, the, the, the shark attack has really done a number on my memory. Oh, of course. But, like, that drink poisoning unfolded in a way that, like, made it so obvious that that it was Zelina Vega that, you know, like, anybody watching anything would say, oh, of course it's not Zelina Vega. It's way too obvious. And then it turns out it is. And then she still denies it. So you're like, okay, well, she's denying it. I mean, it can't be this obvious. They can't be possible. We, we never got a concrete answer to that cliffhanger. I guess the, 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 the ending was that, it, in fact, she did do it. Like, it was, it was actually that obvious. And the moral of the story is that getting poisoned isn't that bad. It's okay. You're fine. Two weeks off. Jericho comes out with the inner circle minus Sammy Guevara. And on Matt Hardy's birthday, he says, who gives a shit? He blames Hardy for what they did to Guevara and said, we don't know when he's coming back. Actually, I lied. He's coming back now. <laughs> and out comes Sammy Guevara. And he just hugs him. He says, Interesting re-debut. Uh, very interesting re-debut. He was not Serpentico. He was not dressed up. This was a less dramatic return than the last. I guess he's had a, enough returns for, yeah. uh, for the year. Jericho says, if I would have attacked you, I would have done it to your face so that you, I could see your reaction and the pain you would have been in. Hardy says he'll fight all of the inner circle, even if I'm not cleared. Mark Quinn steps in, says you need to heal up, and he challenges Jericho. Cassidy cuts him off and says, no, I've got this. I almost beat Jericho twice. I want you next week, and I will make you my Le Champion bitch. Which, if you translate that, I don't know if that is grammatically correct. I will make you my the champion bitch. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, well, who who understands French anyway? Who speaks French? Come on. I thought um, Ca I, I, Cassidy sounded really good. Like I thought he sounded really confident. You know, it's certainly no easy feat. You know, sounding like going toe to toe with with Chris Jericho on the microphone on national TV, but. I thought Cassidy sounded, like, really comfortable. Um, I, th I thought that he sounded the best of the of the three. I thought it was, uh, maybe it's playing off of Jericho, but I felt it was, uh, you know, it, th the point of this all, like, you need to give guys like Cassidy and Quentin time on, on the mic. Like, they yeah. need to talk, so you, you do have to give it to them. And, you know, this is going to be the, the latest, like, Jericho match where it's going to be, you know, trying to make Cassidy. He's moving on from one Cassidy to another. Oh my God! I didn't even put those two together. Yeah, the popular name. Sh it is. Shivani's in the ring with FTR, an executive consultant, Tully Blanchard. Blanchard says we have thousands of new fans every week. How do you, how do you get to see the greatest tag team? And says usually championship matches have a sixty-minute time limit. They have put in a new rule: twenty-minute time limits. It will be called a 20-minute brush with greatness where they get to pick the opponents and if they go the time limit, it's a win for FTR and it starts with SCU next week. Uh, are, these, are these title matches or no? Yes, I believe they're title matches. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Great. But they got 20 minutes to beat them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what the the NWA was doing with their TV title, except like that was what six minutes and five seconds. Mm-hmm. This is twenty. I I like it a lot. I think you could do a lot. This is the team to do this with, and you can you can do some time limits every now and then. I think they've only done one time limit so far on Dynamite, and I thought they would have been more liberal with them in this last year, but I can only recall the one that they did. Time limits, yeah. It's I I I can't recall too many. Yeah. Dax Harwood calls the parking lot fight last week a glorified backyard wrestling match with the best friends, backyard comedic wrestlers. So the best friends come out. Trent says they had a war last week. They want the 20-minute challenge right now. FTR agrees. And right as Paul Turner's about to ring the bell, Harwood stops him, and Wheeler says, it's not fair. You guys are injured. And maybe give Tully a call in a few weeks. And then Chuck Taylor calls them weenies at least some people were chanting weenies boy i thought this was really lame weenies yeah well um it it so uh, i i like the idea i think it's going to make for some really interesting uh matches especially if you reach up towards the 20 minute time limit and you will you start to see the urgency in, in the babyface team really having to like do everything they can to beat ftr and then ftr basically skirting by on a you know, on a technicality, but claiming that they beat, you know, whatever babyface team. Um, best friends coming off of last week's match, um, they feel, suddenly feel like the biggest tag team in the division right now. So uh, to pair them with FTR right up next for what seems like, you know, your next big challenger, most serious challenger, like, makes a whole lot of sense. I like it. One suggestion that I will throw out is that I hope they do more of these uh, time limit teases on the tape shows, because when you're teasing a time limit, so much of it is the reaction of the crowd that are biting for all the teases at the end. Mm-hmm. And in this environment, it's going to be really flat if you're going to 20 minutes and you're getting this crowd. I, I think that's a great point. Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa against Ivelisse and Diamante. Uh, Thunder Rosa did her face paint in honor of Joe Laurinaitis. And this is where the announcers talked about animals passing. Ivelisse and Diamante jump Sheeta, and then Ivelisse slams Rosa down. They go through a picture-in-picture. Sheeta gets the tag. She's throwing Ivelisse around with a snap suplex into Diamante seated in the corner. Then Ivelisse stops a falcon arrow. Rosa misses a knee strike, nailing Sheeta by mistake, and she gets stunned. Ivelisse hits a high kick, only gets a two-count. Diamante setting up for a code red that's stopped as Thunder Rosa grabs her and hits a Death Valley driver. And then Sheeta hits the Falcon Arrow, Ivelisse with the save, and Ivelisse is tossed out of the ring. And Diamante is hit with the Tomoshi and is pinned in 837 by Sheeta. Uh, with Sheeta and Thunder Rosa picking up their titles and kind of uh, loosely teasing uh, the two meeting again down the road. But what did you think about the tag match? You also had like uh, Thunder Rosa hit Sheeta with an E strike by accident. Um, I think the two champs being paired together, I, I really do like it. I mean, we've had so many, of course, you know, too many instances of, of people who can't get along, but this was a case where two future rivals being paired together. I really do enjoy. It looks so badass when they're like holding both belts together. And, um, you can clearly see like in ring, they are both tremendous. I, I really couldn't say the same about like Ivelisse and Diamante in this particular match. Um, I enjoyed like despite all the controversy that came out of this like Thunder Rosa Ivelisse match from last week, I greatly right. enjoyed it. 
because like it felt real and evidently maybe it was actually you know at least a little bit you know maybe more real than than typical but um uh definitely there were concerns or, or criticisms about it being maybe i don't know a little sloppy i found that to be the case with this particular uh match i there there were portions where like they weren't really sure who was legal uh a lot of math like moves that just didn't look all that great and um unfortunately that kind of dampened the overall experience for me on that side uh but the baby face side i, I really enjoyed all right, we move on, and it's uh, Dasha with Jericho. He says he respects Isaiah Cassidy for having some balls. He'll be a big star, but not next week. And the only shot, shot, shot he's going to get is from my left and right fist. With that, MJF walks in, and he does his best Jericho impression. They compliment each other, and then on cue, they both say, So why did you call me a loser? From the opening two weeks ago. Jericho, or MJF, says he heard about it on Reddit and Instagram. While Jericho said, I watched it on Dynamite. You called me a loser. MJF explains, I didn't call you a loser. I called the limo drivers losers for coming so close in our cars together. They could have injured the two biggest stars. Well, Jericho says, I wasn't calling you a loser. I was calling Tony Schiavone a loser. And they make fun of Tony and both admit that the other one is all right. And I really enjoy these two just crossing paths every couple of weeks together. It was fantastic. Um, you know, like two assholes trying to out-asshole one another. Two of the fakest people trying to out, like, be fake to the other person. It's almost like, I don't know, like, t- like just two equal forces, like, meeting their match, doing the mirror image thing. It was great. I mean, I do have to wonder, like, what it's all leading up to. I can't imagine that they're just doing all these, you know, just because they're fun. It has to lead up to something. What do you think that is? Uh, you know, to be quite honest, like, you're doing this Jericho Hager tag team. Like, personally, I would really like to see these two together. Like, MJF has nothing going on right now. I think they would be really fun together. And it's almost like, who's going to turn on the other? And it's just like this false this false alliance that they have this goal with these tag titles that it would have been kind of fun to have these two together. Um, Ultimately you have to do this match eventually, but I think it's so far down the road. I wouldn't want to even tease one of the, one of these two turning. There's definitely a time when you can turn Jericho, um, but it's not now. So I, I don't know where this ultimately goes, but I like that this alliance exists and I'm very interested in seeing where it goes. Yes. For next week, we've got Chris Jericho against Isaiah Cassidy, Britt Baker returns, FTR against Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. Uh, so after they kind of established that Sky was going out on his own, uh, they're putting these two back together. And they did make that clear that it was Sky was kind of going out on his own that they explained during the Ben Carter match. Yeah, I don't know what they're really doing with Scorpio Sky. I think like the guy makes occasional appearances, uh, has a few TNT title challenges maybe here and there, but then it never seems like they have a concrete like story for him. At least not nothing on Dynamite. Uh, it just seems like he's more of a utility player right now. Uh, so that's next week's show, which is on uh, the 30th. The week after that is going to be billed as Chris Jericho's 30th anniversary, which... 
His first wrestling match was October 2nd of 1990. So we are five days removed. It's his legit 30th wrestling anniversary. And they're probably going to have, I would imagine, some great ideas for that. Oh, you know Landstorm's going to be there. Uh, he can't. Oh, he can't? He's got a no, the no compete? Like, no, I he guess. can't travel. Oh, you're right. Well, how about a video message? A video message is possible. Yeah, you could do that. Um, wonder what other names we might get. That'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be interesting what they do. But that will, you know, I, I like the idea of these theme shows. And that's one week before the anniversary show. On the yeah. 14th. Yeah. John Moxley, Eddie Kingston for the AEW title. Um, this was just like a great fight between these two. And it's it works very well for Moxley to have this style of match. Uh, this was the line that you brought up where Excalibur was noting the black and yellow color scheme of Kingston as, in honor of Toshiaki Kawada. And Jim Ross just responds, well, everyone knew that. Uh, in a, a very dismissive way. And what I did get a kick out of was Excalibur decided several minutes later to just double down as they're exchanging chops saying, this is just like Kawada and Kobashi at Budokan Hall, which just felt like to me the, the ultimate receipt uh, coming back. And he's like, I'm going to get all my facts out in this match. Uh, they fought on the floor. Kingston is thrown into the guardrails. And then we go back into the ring. There's a stretch plum applied by Kingston. And then a big boot. Moxley responds with a clothesline. They're both down. Moxley is kneeing him from the clinch and hits a pile driver. And Kingston is just, I, I mean, he is very good at just, uh, you know, screaming and having that intensity throughout the match. He's yelling at Moxley to give him his best shot as they chop one another. There's a series of suplexes from Moxley. Ducks the spinning back fist and applies the rear naked choke and transitions to the bulldog choke. And Kingston goes out at 10 minutes and 50 seconds. They make a point that he didn't tap out. He goes out cold. And then Moxley is attacked by Phoenix and Penta. And this sets up Will Hobbs, who does not get the match this week, but does get his shine where he runs in, hits a big spine buster to Phoenix, and then ducks Pen uh, decks Penta with uh, a double super kick in response, dropping Hobbs. Darby Allen's out with the skateboard. Starks comes out to spear Allen. Um, the only problem here is that there was just no reaction to any of this with the run-ins and stuff, but that's kind of the setup we've got. And it ends with a Rochambeau from Starks uh, with Taz out there as well. So the heels are all standing tall with Kingston, Pentagon, Phoenix, Ricky Starks, and Taz, while Moxley, Hobbs, and Allen are all laid out. And Jim Ross tees up Wonder Woman coming up next. <laughs> So you ended up with, you know, probably a very similar visual to, to what you would have had had the six man gone on, uh, minus Lance Archer, of course. Um, but I will say, like, the, the biggest casualty, of course, of, of not having the six man was probably, uh, you know, Will Hobbs not really getting a chance to come out and perform and actually have a, a match where the guy was probably set to receive a great deal of spotlight, you know. So, um, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll have a proper debut for, for the guy coming up soon. But I was definitely looking forward to seeing him. So. Um, you know, we'll see what, how they follow that up. The match was great. Like, as, as I said, um, taking a negative, negative situation and like turning it into, uh, something that I, nobody who I think is a fan could really complain about, um, giving a title match on t free TV and a match that even without a championship, 
You just simply put John Moxley in there with Eddie Kingston, two guys with a very similar brawling style. That in itself is enough of a draw uh, for anybody who I think would be familiar with the two of them. To me, like Moxley is at, is at his best when he's wrestling a guy like this. Um, and, and it ended up being a great showcase for him in particular. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the match a lot. It's just, um, you know, both have done a great job. Eddie Kingston to me has been uh, just a fantastic addition. I think he's been great. Um, and just, you know, the the way he could sell this match with that one promo, like I, yeah. I thought Eddie Kingston was one of the big stars of the show. Seriously. And like, I mean, it was a match that I think sold itself kind of on paper, right? But like in literally like what, 20, 30 seconds, like he gave you everything you really needed to know to really like bite into it. So yeah, this was think, a great, great show for Eddie Kingston too. Do you think that the spot where he doesn't get eliminated in the battle royal, do you think that was a conscious decision or do you think that was a total fluke? I think that's a fluke. I don't think that's, that's what conscious. I think. I don't think, I think in sloppy. this company, it was like when I used to do improv, they would like I had people who would always tell me there's no such thing as a mistake. There's only gifts. And goddamn, the company proved that in this casino battle royale between Matt <laughs> Seidel and Eddie Kingston. There are no such things as mistakes or botches. It's just gifts for us to make use out of. And look at this Kingston thing. When they, they had a story, they just had this guy run with this. It's like, okay, here's like a cool line for Heat that we don't know when we're going to pay this off. But it happened. People saw it. React like you really would have if this was a real fight and you had an out that you never were eliminated, of course, you're going to brag about it. And here this unfortunate circumstance happens with Archer, but we've got the story rights itself because we didn't ignore something that wasn't supposed to happen. We ran with it and it paid off. It, it definitely takes like a great like deal of creativity in order to take whatever situation you're given and, and to try to explain it in a storyline way that makes sense. Um you definitely run into situations where you you'll have problems with that though. Um, just trying. I don't know. I have a lot of confidence in this crew that they, <laughs> dude. The Michael Nakazawa thing with Seidel, like oh, I yeah. was just, I marveled at that. I I immediately messaged you. I like, I was in awe of like how smart this was that they got out of something like that <laughs> and turned it around as they did. It tells me like I don't know if there's too much you can throw their way that they're not just gonna laugh off and. And make it work for their benefit. So, it was really clever. Um, Dynamite tonight overall, I thought it definitely had some good points. Um, certainly none of none of the the highs of like that that parking lot fight from from last week. That did you see? Got the full five. I did see that. Yes, reluctantly it sounded like from Dave. Well, not I, not reluctantly, but like he he made mention that he wasn't a fan of these types of matches, but at the same time he recognized how how really good it was. I I'm very much in the same kind of thinking as, as him. Like those aren't matches I encourage and typically enjoy, but dude, I, I thought that match was unbelievable last week. I just like, I, I can't, I can't criticize. Like if you're watching that, it's, um, it's like saying, well, I, I hate horror movies. Therefore, uh, I can never compliment a great horror movie. It's like, mm-hmm. no, the, the, it, the genre might not be your favorite, but you can get some brilliant horror movies. Yeah. So let's go to the feedback tonight. Uh, the forum gives this one an 8.06. Another strong number. We start off with Jesse from the six who should be reading a book right now. Instead, he's watching dynamite, wasting his time last night in anticipation of the forthcoming 
Up next review, I watched Clash of the Champions 1. The announcers on that show were Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, and 22 years later, they're still going strong. A year ago, AEW's announced team looked to me to be three play-by-play guys. Of the two who are in their 60s, one had not called pro wrestling in nearly 20 years, and the other's previous job calling New Japan had been underwhelming. But now I really like this announced team. Excalibur explains what we see in the ring, Shivani brings a charming wonderment to the call, and Jim Ross carries the narrative. The only flaw I would say is JR's occasional misadventures into comedy. Has this announced team met, exceeded, or failed to meet your expectations? For me, they've exceeded. Yeah, like, I think for me, like, my expectations for announcers heading into AEW really weren't all that high. Um, Remember week one, it was Alex Marvez. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, at this point, uh, they've definitely exceeded. I think the three of them work really well together. I honestly feel like several combinations of the the staff that they have, and I'm including, of course, Taz. um, I'm including Veda Scott, who, like, I really enjoyed on Dark. Like they all are good at the job, so the, to me, they've definitely exceeded. It, they're you know not perfect. Like? They're not perfect by any means. And and you know, you pointed out some stuff, Jesse. I pointed out stuff like there. There are definitely areas and big ways to improve. But uh, my expectations were really low, so I I think they've been overall like really good. Yeah, and I think you know we've talked a lot about the the, the commentary. One thing I really do like about the AEW crew. Um, especially this threesome on on Wednesday nights is that you tune in and you feel it's like it's three guys that e- even when we joke about the Ross and Excalibur stuff, three guys that like they get along and they love calling this product like mm-hmm. that does come through with all of them. Like they they love what they're doing and they have that natural rapport with one another. Yeah. And, and the experience and just the intelligence of like knowing what the ultimate goal is, you know, of, of who they're promoting. Um, like Tony in particular, I think it's really understated, like how, how good he is at, at directing, um, like whether it be throwing plugs or like, uh, I, I, there was an interview I just saw of him recently where like he was interviewing somebody. And I think the point that the other person was trying to make was kind of confused. So he helped, you know, reiterate it, which um, I, I mean, it sounds, I guess, so basic, but, Ultimately, like he, I, I think they all do a really good job of like. I, I like Tony a lot. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad he's in this spot. I think he adds a lot to this product. Um, just he is just such a likable personality on the show and behind the scenes too, taking um, I guess care of a lot of the behind the scenes work, editing and producing and stuff. Does the podcast? Yeah. Okay, we go to uh, Noah from Vaughn, who says another good episode of Dynamite. All five matches delivered. Matches of the night were both. Were there, were there only five matches on the show? Yeah, we only got five. Oh, wow, there was a there was a big gap of talking segments, like more than you usually get after the Brody Lee match. It was like several segments where we got like like the inner circle with Matt Hardy. We had FTR with Tully, like more than you typically get on a episode of Dynamite. Mm. It says matches of the night were both of the title matches, but I just wanted to give a bit of spotlight to that awesome late night dynamite, which I thought was a 10 out of 10 show. Ben Carter and Anna Jay look like future stars for this company. I wonder if we get Cody versus Brody 2 at the anniversary show. Sure, seems like that would be the case coming out of tonight's show. 7.5 out of 10. With the Bucks seemingly being heels now, do you think AEW is going to hold off on doing them versus FTR until larger crowds return? I mean, well, they're they're teasing it a lot harder now. Like between being the elite on the on Monday and tonight, bringing it up, like they seem to be, like they're not trying to distance you from wanting that match. 
And I really do question if they're really heels. Um, they're definitely yeah. doing heelish things, but I think they're a lot of it is like meant to make you just look at them as badasses, uh, likable badasses, maybe even comedic badasses. You know, like people almost like being so over the top badass that you know that they're just kind of putting it on. Um, I I don't really get the sense that I'm supposed to hate the Bucks. Um, this one kind of just asks about all the COVID stuff. We we spent a lot of time in, uh, during the news on that. Andrew from Cape Breton is our last one. With two days off from work, I was able to catch this week's Dynamite. It felt like quite the strong show with strong matches. I liked seeing Miro, and he looked to be in incredible shape. Miro seems to fit in very well, and it seems a lot of former WWE guys are finding their own niche in AEW. The only one who hasn't fit in at all was Matt Cardona, who hasn't been back, and I don't think it's a good fit at all. Brody Lee, for example, isn't Luke Harper anymore. He's now the man who will tell John Silver to lay the fuck down when Sue throws paper at him after botching the first throw. Miro doesn't seem to be Rusev anymore, despite similar moves and finish. I don't know why, but Matt Cardona still seems like he's just Zack Ryder. He reminded me of when Rikishi and Test went to TNA. I also liked unranked Eddie Kingston getting a title match tonight, with Archer being out as they used his complaints about the Battle Royal as justification. Great stuff. 8 out of 10 show tonight. Like, I, I would say this about Matt Cardona is, like, I don't think they've ever been all in on Matt Cardona because I, I think they don't know what his status is going to be. And they've, like, it's been sporadic appearances, but I, I don't feel like they've fully given you any kind of, like, he didn't get one promo during any time during all of this. Mm-hmm. Personally, like, my interest kind of comes down, like, or at least how I think they might gauge interest is, you know, maybe a combination of... uh internet buzz crowd buzz and i also think like in AEW, especially your in-ring ability uh weighs a whole lot i think like rusev you know has like an intensity in ring that we have seen um zach Ryder is more of like honestly like very much great personality uh exceptional personality even but like in ring um he really does kind of feel like a bit more generic, you know, maybe just more of a body guy, kind of of a of a prior generation that to me um really does kind of stand out amongst AEW when you have all these guys on dark who could like like just kill it. Um that to me is like I think the biggest thing holding him back. Yeah. Um I, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh that's gonna wrap up the show. So thank you everybody. It was a packed one tonight. Um Probably a lot to discuss in the coming days. So we will be back Thursday afternoon looking at the G1 show uh, with the B Block, headlined by Tetsuya Naito, Zack Sabre Jr. And then Friday, rewind to SmackDown, 10.15 Eastern. We will be live and all of the cafe members can tune in for rewind to SmackDown and catch your G1 shows. Yeah, a lot of stuff out on the Post Wrestling Cafe this week. A lot of stuff out on our feed feeds this week, on the British Wrestling Experience, of course. Uh, the debut of the Wrestling Adventure with Bushby and Thompson comes out tomorrow. Up Next has their show right now, as well as their Batman review tomorrow night. So uh, plenty for you to choose from. You can find links to all that stuff at postwrestling.com. Goodbye.